we're going to get into 1 Corinthians 12 tonight. So uh, open up, and if we do it properly, we're going to get out early, and I'll get on the road. Oh, thanks, man. Totally forgot that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12. So um, we're getting into some dicey stuff, a lot of misconceptions in the body of Christ. And so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump into the first three verses, and then I'm going to pause in the middle of that uh, for a three-week study to take us through the remainder of chapter 12 and then prepare us to go into 13 because uh, this is where we're dealing with the third person of the Trinity, a uh, very forgotten person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and all the misconceptions in the body of Christ. And we're going to be dealing with uh, the, the uh, stations, or I would say uh, the administrations of the Holy Spirit, which is uh, preaching, teaching, um, evangelism. We're going to go through each of those. Those are the administrations. Then we're going to go through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, how all those pertain, how that works in the life of a believer, kind of the misconceptions within the body of Christ that some of the gifts have, are no longer valid, uh, what, what they call cessationists, that certain gifts uh, passed after the church got established, and I'll address that as well. Um, and then we're, we're going to just take a look because from this point forward, Paul is, is emphasizing to the church at Corinth that without the Holy Spirit, you guys are going to be a train wreck and the necessity of the Holy Spirit. And this personally is ministered to me because um, you can put on a big event. You can invite pastors from all over the place. Uh, you, can, you can have great music. You can have great speakers. And you have absolutely no transition, no transformation, nothing. Uh, and what we found, especially when we went to Fresno, we got there the first, first day, and there was a heaviness in the room. I don't know how to describe it. The, it, was, it was just intense. And we immediately stopped and all of us gathered. We began to pray, ask God to work the things that we have no control over. And before you know it, the entire um, atmosphere changed. And it was phenomenal what, what took place. So as we're looking at um, so many things that are completely out of our control, uh, what, what is it that the Lord has provided for us uh, through the third person of this Godhead, uh, the Holy Spirit? So... We'll begin with prayer, and then uh, we'll take a look at the scripture. Lord, thank you for your word, and we thank you for this time together. And Holy Spirit, please lead us into all truth as we seek to understand you and that you would reveal yourself to us and that we would honor you. And we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And that was, uh, I planned that. Somebody. So um, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, just the first three verses, we're going to take a look at uh, right here. And it says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Why would you think he'd say that? It's, it's okay to participate tonight. Why do you think he'd say that? Because we are ignorant. There's so much about the Holy Spirit we don't understand, and especially in concern, concerning spiritual gifts. Um, uh, when I went up to when I went up to Fresno, uh, th- those are my old stomping grounds. That's where I, I, I cut my teeth in ministry. Michelle and I first started our ministry in Fresno. Uh, Roger Manassian, uh, uh, Pastor Roger, we call him Bodvelli. That's Armenian for for pastor. And and he was there, and I got to acknowledge what he had done in my life. Uh, I, I saw a number of folks there. One in particular was from the seminary that I attended. Uh, a number of folks came up and said, gosh, you were just a youth director. When, when did all this happen? How did you become mayor pro tem, soon to be mayor? How did you become a pastor of church? So many things have changed. You've, and they're going on and on and on. 
And one person in particular, which was kind of satisfying to me, was from the seminary itself. And they came up and said, remarkable how you've put these things together. And I'm kind of laughing at myself because I said, you know one of the reasons why I left the seminary? And he said, no, what? I said, because they said I'd never be a minister. They did an assessment and they had my wife and I come in and sit down and we went through these things and all the areas where I, you know, wasn't good at and all these other things and just, you know, the admonition of, I don't even remember who did it, but Michelle and I had to go through a battery of tests. And, and I thought, you know, this was your assessment. So whatever you see in front of you had nothing to do with anything that you imparted to me. This is something that obviously God did and, and how he did it is truly beyond me. And, and, and the comment was, how many people have taken a, a spiritual gifts assessment test? Okay, so you've seen that come through the church a uh, period of time. And you, you fill in the blanks and you find out what your personality type is and, and, and what the gifts are and what you're prone to. And we start to assess where you fit in the body of Christ, right? Well, that's, that's kind of interesting. But the, <laughs> the, the, the gifts of the, of the Holy Spirit are not characteristics of who you are. They're imparted to you for one purpose, and that's to build others up. Did you get that? Edification of the body. So it, it, it's, an, it's an equipping by God to minister to one another. So if the church, as we saw in Corinth and have, have been seeing in our study of the church in Corinth, completely divided, completely chaotic, a complete mess, how does the healing of that church occur? Because all of a sudden the gifts start to manifest themselves. And what do those gifts do? They edify and build others up. The Holy Spirit is other-centered, not self-centered. So what we tend to do is look for those gifts that have an outward appearance that will elevate us upon, above another. We want those, those gifts that have a manifestation that people can see. Not the gift of faith or the gift of knowledge or the gift of wisdom. Uh, or the, we, we want the gift of tongues. And what we're going to see in, in chapter 12 is that's the last one listed. And, but yet the, the scripture says that you're to desire these gifts. So we're supposed to desire them. And then he also points out to the church in Corinth, they're ignorant of these gifts. Yet they were practicing the gifts. So where did their ignorance come from? I think the ignorance came from not knowing who the giver of the gifts were and the purpose of the gifts. But they still had the gifts. And they were just using them improperly in many ways. So he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant you know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Am I a Christian? Yes. We're hoping so. <laughs> All right, ready? Jesus is accursed. Am I still a Christian? You bet I am. Is it the words themselves? When, can somebody say that, that Jesus is Lord and not be saved? So what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying that it's not the words themselves. It's the reflection of your life declaring those words to be true. Did you hear that? It's not the words themselves, it's the words matching the characteristics of your life that prove those words to be true. Jesus is Lord. Now, what doesn't go together? No, Lord. What's wrong with that statement, no, Lord? I, look, everybody's tired, I am. How is he Lord if you're saying no to him? 
We are his servants. He's our master. No, Lord. Does that go together? So the, the reflection of what Paul is saying is, he's your Lord, but you're refusing to honor him as such. He's given you gifts for the edification of the body, but you're tearing one another apart. You, you may be gifted, I have no doubt, I, and I can guarantee you there are people in the congregation that can preach better than I can and teach better than I can. And, and yet, for whatever reason, Lord, our Savior, the one who's in charge, put me here. He appoints those positions. I'm here. Now, that doesn't mean that your gifts are insignificant. It's just not being practiced behind this wooden stand on a Wednesday or a Sunday. And so the, the idea is our gifts are not to elevate ourselves. Our, the gifts are to edify others and to build up the body of Christ and to exercise his will upon the body. Now, what is his will? To will and to do of his good pleasure, to love others as Christ has loved us, to lay our life down, to serve him. And, and, and so this is what Paul's getting to. Now, how many people want to do that? Raise your hand. Want to edify others and serve? And How many people want to do it? Please, raise your hand. How many people are 100% successful at doing that? Please raise your hand. How many people are... Four percent successful at that. <laughs> well, and the two of you together, just ask each other if you have been. Yeah, yeah, no, we're very successful. Let's take an assessment and decide. No, I'm kidding. We we struggle. We struggle as believers. We are so selfish. Yes. And one of the things I, I, I've always found interesting over the years is that as you minister, you have, the, the, the scripture calls the pastor a shepherd. And shepherd deal with sheep. Sheep are compliant, they're sweet, they're easy to deal with. But mixed among the sheep are wolves. And the weirdest thing about it is the wolves transform into sheep. And the sheep transform into wolves and there's like chimera, there's hybrids. A, weep, a, 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 a shulf and a, a, a weep, you know, it's, and you don't know what you're getting week in and week out because it's all dependent on if you're spirit controlled. Did you hear that? Because everyone is capable of walking in the flesh and we can be together as a body of believers declaring Christ to be Lord and still tear each other apart because we have chimeraed or, or transmorphed into wolves preying on one another. The flesh is still present. The old man is here. And so what is this idea of God giving gifts by his spirit, the Holy Spirit? Well, if we're going to understand this, we need to understand this third person of the Trinity. We really have to grasp this this obscure person of the Trinity. And typically the Holy Spirit is obscure because he wants to get out of the way. His purpose is to lift up the name of Christ that all men would be drawn unto him. He's one of those folks that you never see. You don't know who changes the toilet paper in the bathroom. You don't know who's vacuuming when you're not here. You don't know who's cleaned the windows. You don't know who did any of these things. Those are those folks that are invisible because they want to make it possible that you can hear and not have any distractions. Those are the servants. That's the Holy Spirit. He's a servant. And so who is he, and how is it that he imparts these gifts, and what is the purpose of these gifts? So for that to be answered, we're going to take a look at one of my favorite verses that really blessed me and set me free, because I 
cut my teeth in ministry, not just in Fresno, but primarily first in Madera, California, in a church that followed um, John MacArthur's teachings. Uh, it was actually called uh, Grace Community Church in Madera, California. Wonderful group of believers, love the Lord. Matter of fact, the pastor of that church officiated Michelle at our wedding uh, for the two of us. And I love Randy Brandon. He was um, um, a pharmacist, a doctor of pharmacy, went into the ministry, did a wonderful job of building a community and a church there, but they did not believe the gifts of the, uh, that certain gifts were applicable and that they, had, they were cessationists and they, they didn't see this. And, and they always instilled in me a tremendous fear of, of the, the atrocities, well, I don't know if that's a great word, uh, of the abuses of the abuses of the, of the charismatic movement in the body of Christ. Folks that would follow the gifts of the Holy Spirit and take them to excess in some capacity and, and, and showing you scene after scene or clip after clip or illustration after illustration of the bizarre behavior of those that have, the pendulum has swung in such a great direction so that when I left that church, having been discipled in that church, having gone through the Navigator study, which doesn't even deal really with the third person of the Trinity, and then stepping into Calvary chapels, and I remember being a single guy at Harvest Christian Fellowship going to an afterglow service. An afterglow service is where all that you do, the teaching has been completed. After the service, you gather in a smaller room because it's an intimate setting, and the person begins to play music and invites the, the Holy Spirit to to manifest himself through the gifts upon the body as we wait to be filled with his presence and, and asking for these gifts, not wanting to be ignorant. You have not because you ask not, and, it, it, and, and you're sitting there waiting for him to, to, to bring this. And, and, and for him to, to build the body of Christ and to edify the body of Christ. And so I remember I, I went to the afterglow because there was a cute girl, and I, I thought she was going to go. I'll sit next to her. And we sat down, and I had this mindset that, you know, this is funky. I, I had been instilled that you just don't mess around, and this is going to get weird. And right away, I mean right away, uh, there, was, there was a pause in the music as we were just waiting on the Lord, which I already thought was kind of bizarre. And we're waiting on the Lord, and all of a sudden just a, a little bit of noise come from people, and, the, and I'm just hairs on the back of my neck are st- sticking up. And one person just starts going off in tongues. I don't know what it was, but they were doing something over here. And it was a unique kind of intonation. And I grabbed this, this girl's arm and I said, let's go. And she said, no, 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 wait. I go, no, no, let's go. And, and, and as I just sat there, just frustrated, and, I, and it was a song that this person was singing in this language I'd never heard. And all of a sudden, on the other side of the room, the person starts singing in the exact same song, not as beautiful, I guess, but then interpreting in English, and it was a praise to God, singing a praise to God. Every time that tongues is used in the scripture, it's not man, excuse me, it's not God speaking to man. It's always man speaking to God. So that was the very first thing, and I thought, okay, well, that that lines up with what I've been told. Oftentimes I've been in an afterglow setting where somebody will speak in tongues, another will interpret, and they'll say, God wants his shepherds too, and, I, and immediately we shut it down. 
God doesn't speak to man in that capacity. Man speaks to God through the gift of tongues to edify the Lord. You'll see this as we go through the study. But I'm sitting in this and I'm, I'm thinking there's something interesting here. And then someone comes up and gives me a word. I don't know, what a word, what, a, what, a, what is this word? Why isn't he talking to me? But when they imparted it to me, it was profound and they knew things about me. And I thought that's very interesting. And one that would come to fruition in time. So I was very skeptical, very skeptical of the Holy Spirit and very afraid of the Holy Spirit. But it was this passage that set my heart at ease. And here it is. Turn with me if you would. Eh, you can just look up at the screen. I'll make it, you'll get lazy after a while though. You can highlight it because we'll be doing that later. But he says in, in John 14, and, and I'll put it into context. Jesus says, in my father's house are many mansions. I go and prepare a place for you. And when I go, I will bring you. And, and they're saying, Lord, where are you going? How will we know the way? It was, it, it was Thomas asking. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father. And they're all worried. He says, you know, let not your heart be troubled. Their heart was troubled. And, and as they're lamenting this, Jesus says, go, then goes on to say, I will pray to the Father. After I leave, I will pray to the Father, and he will give you, everyone say, another. another. He will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now these are prepositions in the Greek that we'll share later down the line of how the Holy Spirit operates within the world, within the context of a believer, and through the gifts themselves. Uh, And the Greek is very clear in these. But one of the things I want to look at tonight is not focusing on, on that aspect of it, but on the person of the Holy Spirit. And so what we're going to do is in John 14, um, I want you to see something that's very interesting in John 14. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now, I know that sounds shocking to you, but he is a person. He is not a force. He's not a power. He's not an essence. Has anyone ever said, have you received it? Have you received it? Talking about the Holy Spirit, have you received it? They have no idea what they're talking about. It is not the way you refer, refer to the God of the universe. You use a personal pronoun when dealing with an individual. And I want you to notice now in this verse all the personal pronouns associated with the Holy Spirit. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that, what? He may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees nor knows, but you know, for he, yes, dwells with you and will be in you. These are all personal pronouns. You use a personal pronoun when referring to a person. You don't say it. You say he, because the Holy Spirit, he is a person. He's of the Godhead. Another interesting thing, if you want to see that he is a person, is that you ascribe characteristics. If I were to say of Robert White, he is a tall man. He is a, a handsome man. I'm helping, you know. I, yeah. He's a man that needs glasses. Yes? Not needs, but uses them. Yes. Uh, it, 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 we're going to use characteristics. He's a gentleman. He's a wise man. He's a kind man. We use these characteristics to describe a person. 
So what are the characteristics we find in scripture to describe the Holy Spirit as a person? Uh, we take a look, and you can write these verses down. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. The spirit searches. So one thing that the Holy Spirit does is he searches. A force doesn't search. An essence doesn't search. A person searches. He searches all things, just the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the, uh, uh, of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Not only does he search, he also knows. This is a characteristic of a person. You know, Michelle knows me very well. Michelle can search my countenance to see if I'm happy or sad. She's a person. She knows. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is another picture of, of an attribute or characteristic of a person. Verse 11. But one and the same spirit works all, thing, all these things, distributing to each one individually as everyone says he wills. And then Romans 8.26, likewise the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession. So the Spirit, he wills and he also prays. He intercedes. This is a characteristic of a person. Michelle intercedes for me. She was praying for me when I was in Fresno, and she was here. Uh, she has a will. And, and this is the idea of a person. These are all characteristics of a person. Romans 15.30 is another picture. Uh, did it come up? Yes? Good. Uh, now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. 1 Corinthians 2.10 again. But God has revealed them. He searches. So not only does he search, not only does he reveal, but the Holy Spirit, he loves a person loves yes these are all characteristics of a person you think this is strange why is he emphasizing this i'll explain it in a moment but first let's go again to john 14 but we'll go further down verse 26 but the helper so he helps the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring your remembrance all things that I said to you. He remembers and he teaches. These are all characteristics. I'm teaching you. I'm a person. I remember you. Yes, I'm a person. He's a person. Why is that significant? Because we tend to look at the Holy Spirit as a force, a power, or an essence. But the Holy Spirit is a person. Not only is he a person that does all these things, you can also do things contrary. I can hurt people as a person. The Lord can be grieved. Look at this, uh, Acts 5. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You can't lie to a force. You can't lie to an essence. You can't lie to a power. But you can lie to a person. And that's what Ananias did. That's what Sapphira did. They lied to the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. I've grieved Michelle. This is, this is what happens when, when you're dealing with a person. And all of these verses and many more, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through every single one of them. I want to emphasize that the Holy Spirit is a person. Everybody got that down? If you don't understand this, 
you're going to fall into the category that the church suffers with. And a large move of the charismatic movement has fallen prey to this. And here's what it is. If he is only a power, then he becomes to the believer only a means to accomplish the believer's will instead of the one who is provided to accomplish the will of God. If he's a power or an essence or a source, we, we use that power for our own purposes. I'm going to speak this into existence. Holy Spirit, you will bring this. And, and, and I, I, the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you receive it? Are you a spirit-filled believer? Have you ever heard that one? Spirit-filled believer. That's, that's our test. You walk up to somebody, you, Trent, you a spirit-filled believer? What does that mean? I've seen Trent on a really good day, and I've seen him on a lousy day. Is there some sort of difference between his position in Christ? Is he somehow less in the body of Christ because he had an argument with a member of his family? Is his station, is his position in Christ changed? Is he less valuable in the body of Christ? Is he a spirit-filled believer? I would reckon to say, or I would bet, that every person in this room, most of all behind this wooden stand, is really leaking whatever you're purporting that I'm to be filled with. You don't have that yet. You don't get it. We leak, folks. Yes? I mean, I've seen each of you, and you've seen me on a good day and a bad day. Has the Spirit departed you? The Bible says we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Are you, are you, are you a Spirit-filled believer? Don't ask. Look at this. Don't ask if someone is a spirit-filled believer. Ask them if they are a spirit-controlled believer. Not how much of the Holy Spirit do you have, but how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? Not spirit-filled, but spirit-controlled. Paul began 1 Corinthians 12 wanting to emphasize that the church is only going to be as strong as the people who are surrendered to his control, meaning to... The Holy Spirit's control. You, you don't have to run to Brownsville or Pensacola or Toronto for the blessing of the Holy Spirit. He's not running around. You don't have to chase him. And, and I, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that to mock people that are, are wanting to be controlled by him. But things like that frighten me. I have been in a room where the presence of the Lord is very evident and the room is controlled by his presence because there's a yielded heart to all who are there to say, God, will and to do of your good pleasure in my life. They're not there because they want him to do their bidding. They're there because they want to do his bidding. Does everyone get that? Don't lose sight of that. I'll give you a perfect example. In relation to the Holy Spirit, and for us not to be thinking ourselves to be spirit-filled but spirit-controlled, we know that the Holy Spirit is a person. 
The scriptures declare him to be a person, which means he is not our equal. He is our God. He is not a force to do our bidding. He is our God that is to control our lives for his glory. Yeah? If you lose track of that, you are off course. And it's going to get funky. Clear? It's the life of a, of a surrendered servant to a, a heavenly dictator, basically. And I, I don't like the word dictator, but, but he is a benevolent God. One that wants good in our lives. And when we yield to him, it always brings good. Now I want to take us to a, the second of three things in relation to tonight. The second one is this. If, if I were to say to Dan, and, and let's say something tragic happened to you. Somebody really, really hurt you. And, and, and I'm, I, I don't know anything. I'm, this is illustrative only. I'm making it up, okay? It's so grievous what occurred. And as the pastor of the church, I see him enveloped in grief and anger because of the betrayal and the pain. And I walk up to Dan and I say, Dan, you need to just forget. I, I, I would walk up to Dan and go, Dan, you need to forgive, forget, and move on. Otherwise, you're in sin, brother. Has anyone ever been so hurt that they have forgiven but it haunts you again and you have to do it again? Hello? How many of us? Oh, good, all of us, which I thought. You sinners. Where's the spirit-filled life? The Bible says, forgive one another as I have forgiven you. Well, we know what he wants us to do, yes? How many people have problems doing what he wants us to do? Well, you're in good company. This is the Apostle Paul. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He goes on to say in Romans 8, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit. Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I'm, I'm actually in, I, I skipped it, I'm sorry. The Holy Spirit provides us with the how to live the Christian life. Look at Romans seven eighteen. For I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. I go to Dan, I say, Dan, you got to forgive. I want to forgive. I have no idea how to do it. Every time I forgive that person, the, the image is back in my head. I want to forgive. I want the abundant Christian life. I don't want to be in this, this prison of bitterness. I don't want to be in this prison of pain. I have no idea how to do what it is God is asking me to do. 
Has anyone struggled with a sin that keeps rearing its ugly head? The sin that easily besets you? Or am I the only one? And how many of you have said, I swear to God I'll never do it again? And you did it again. Please, this is when we have to raise our hands. And how many of you have ever done that? Good. You want to, don't you? Hello? You have no idea how to do it. Paul says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me, but how to reform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Practice, yeah. I mean, I've gotten really good at it. I know how to hide it. I know how to disguise it. I know how to pretend it's not there. Hello? So, we have a will, but we have no power. The Holy Spirit provides us with the how to live the what of the Christian life. If we didn't have the Holy Spirit's power, and we'll see this in a moment, the Bible would simply be a book that would mock us for the rest of our lives. Do this and don't do that. Well, I don't want to do that. And I do want to do that. And that which I don't want to do, I'm doing. And that which I want to do, I don't do. And it mocks me and it curses me and it condemns me. You've asked me to do something that is not within my power. You must forgive as I have forgiven you. Judge not lest ye be judged. To the level you judge, you will be judged. I am such a judgmental person. I elevate myself based on how I feel about others. I condemn them, I cut them down, and I want people to see how special I am. And I pretend I'm not doing it, but really when I'm quiet and I'm all alone, I know it's exactly what I'm doing. I think that describes a lot of the Christian life. It described Paul's, and that's where I bring us to this part that I read earlier. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? We're sick of it, aren't we? And this is where Paul then gives us the answer in Romans 8. The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. I ran out of space. The idea is God gives us the power to do the what of his word. Look at Philippians 2. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He provides the will and the power, and without his power, the Bible will simply mock our feeble effort to obey. With the fictitious illustration I gave for Dan that all of us can relate to in some capacity. The only way to do something that supernatural is with a supernatural power. And that power can only come from the one who possesses it, and that is the Holy Spirit. God provides us, and I I want you to remember this. 
God provides us with the how of his spirit to accomplish the what of his word. Let me repeat it. God provides us with the how of his spirit to accomplish the what of his word. The what must be coupled with the how. If you don't, the Bible just mocks you. I am not an artist in any way, shape, or form. I can't play a a guitar. I can't paint. And and if if we were to walk down, we go out Las Brisas and we get to Potrero and you go to the trailhead out to Mount Boney and you see those folks who set up the easels and they're painting Mount Boney. Have you seen it? And they used to do this in Coronado. They had the, the, the boathouse in Coronado and the Hotel Dell, and they'd set up their easels in a really you know, beautiful vantage point, and they'd begin to paint. I'd walk up and I'd marvel at the brush strokes and the watercolor and the, the, the way they would see it and the way they would portray it on the canvas, and I would just marvel at that. And I'd just be moved by it. And if I were to go over and I'd rush over while they're still painting, knowing there'd be time, and I'd run over and i go to the Aaron Brothers Art Supply and i get the easel and i get the canvas and i get the paint and the watercolors and the brushes and I, I mimic everything that, that they have and I bring it over and I set it right next. I buy the exact stool and I sit down and every brushwork they do, I do. And I follow them just as they're doing it, just like that. And people are coming up and marveling at them and they're looking at mine and they feel sorry for me. Right? I don't have that gift. It doesn't, it, it, I want to do that. I just don't know how. I need something to give me the ability to do what I want to do. I want to forgive. I don't know how. And this is what's so vital about the Holy Spirit. He provides us with that. He provides us with this ability, the how to live the Christian life. And you know how you receive the how to do the what of his word? You ask him. It's that simple. I will provide you a helper, a paraclete, One who comes alongside. You see, I'm coming alongside to try to do his work. He comes alongside to give me the power to do his work. I'm trying to mimic his work. He's empowering me to do his work. He's taking my hand and he's doing it. I am yielded to him. I'm controlled by him. He's grabbed my hand. He's grabbed my heart. He's grabbed everything. And he's given me his power. Why? Because he gets the glory. When it comes time to sign my name to that canvas, when the artist has been holding my hand the whole time, do you think that's legit? When they would come up to me in Fresno and tell me these things, I'm looking at it going, I couldn't get three people in a room to ever listen to me, and the only reason why you're here has nothing to do with me. I've told you this story before, but it is the best illustration I can think of. And, and, and my pastor taught it to me. 
right when the new cars came out with electric windows before it had been the roll-down deal. And his boys were in the back seat. And they're saying, Dad, in this new car, how do you roll the windows down? And Don said, boys, this is a very special car. You must command the windows to go down. And he had the master control in the front. And one little boy goes, window down. He says, no, son, say it with authority. He says, window down. And he presses it, and the boy stands back. And the other one says, window up. And he's, and they're yelling, and he's, and they really were mesmerized. And Don had said this to a room full of pastors on a preaching seminar. And he said, you, you, you know your hermeneutics. You know how to communicate between God and man. And you're this instrument of the Lord. And he says, and I want you to know what you possess. The only thing you're doing when you're preaching is saying window up and window down. God controls the instruments. It's a scalpel in the hands of a surgeon. We're not spirit-filled. We're spirit-controlled. You wake up every morning and you say, God, here is your life. What do you want to do with it? Every trial, every struggle, every time that that hurt rears its ugly head, you surrender and let him paint the canvas as he controls your heart and your mind through his word. As you read his word and you see something that challenges you, you say, God, I can't do this. Will you? You remember the story Corey Tenboom lost her family in the concentration camp at Ravensbrook. The guard responsible for the death of her sister. She, his face was endeared into her mind. She had witnessed all these people going to the gas chambers. She had witnessed the executions and the death and her sister Betsy, who she loved, her whole family wiped out. And after the war, God had called her back to Germany to preach a God of forgiveness. And she just said, I can't do this, but you can. And I yield. She went back into the land of the people responsible for the decimation of her family and began to preach a God of forgiveness. And she was in a bombed out German beer hall in Berlin, where it was a freezing winter, overcoats, inadequate heating, wind blowing through the beer hall. And at the conclusion of preaching a God of forgiveness and extending an opportunity to yield your life to God, nobody moved but one man in the back. And as he walked, through the, walked forward in the dimly lit beer hall, the light started to reflect and she could see by the outline of that face the face that paralyzed her in anger and bitterness. It was the guard who was responsible for the death of her sister. He had no idea who she was because she was emaciated when he saw her in a flimsy prison gown. And when he approached her, he knew that she had suffered in a concentration camp. He knew that he was responsible for the atrocities to many, but not her. But she knew him, and she hated him. And he walked forward, and he said, Fraulein, you speak of a God of forgiveness. If you can forgive me, I know he's real. He says, please forgive me. And he put his hand forward. Her hands were in her coat in the cold German winter, and there wasn't any desire to forgive him.
Anger enveloped him. The, the vision of her sister dying an emaciated, painful death. But she said, Holy Spirit, I will supply the action by your power if you will touch my heart with your love that my hand will match my heart and my heart will match my hand. Please, I yield my hand to you. And she extended it by his strength, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gave his power to her heart that when their hands touched, this love flowed between the two of them and they began to weep. And when she expressed to him who he was to her, he wept all the more. That is impossible with man. It's not how much of the Holy Spirit do you have. It's how much of you does he have. It's not spirit-filled. It's spirit-controlled. He is the what. to he is, he is the how to accomplish the what of God's word. Do you know this? You, you, are you tired of not doing what you want to do? And you've come and you're, you're, you're overwhelmed by your life. You have tried to stop. You have tried to quit. You have tried a thousand times. And now you say, God, will you take the reins of my life? Will, will, will you provide me with the how to live the what of your word? And you know how? is you just say, please. And he will. And it's not just once, it's continually. We tend to forget. It's like the child riding the bike while daddy's holding the seat. And then you think you got this all on your own. And he lets go. We, Christianity's not a crutch. It is a complete life support system that we must com be completely plugged into. I got a call today. Somebody who's involved in, actually there were three meetings today I had. And in every instance, it was dealing with the tension, the division, the, the different enclaves in the political world of Thousand Oaks. And everybody has an agenda, everybody has a will, everybody has what they want to do. And in each of the cases, the people I spoke to were all believers. And I said, it seems to me that you are wanting to accomplish something. My question to you is, did God tell you to accomplish this and are you doing it at his strength? Because if you are, why are you so angry and bitter? Why do you have an anger towards the people he's called you to love? If we're to be effectual, it's not spirit-filled, it's spirit-controlled. Your mouth, your heart, your actions, your writing, your prayers, your behavior. And the world will know you're a Christian by your love. That is a spirit-controlled life.
Otherwise, without that, it just produces a very frustrating Christian walk. It, it, it's like a 12-step program, and you just go to a bookstore for another self-help book. And you can read it and read it and read it, and it breaks down at one step or another. It's this idea of a supernatural life needs supernatural power. And that's where Romans 8 is of greatest importance. Behind the what of God's word is the how of the Holy Spirit to live it. You can look at this later, but 2 Peter chapter 1, his defined power has given us everything we need, and you can take a look at it later. But again, without the Holy Spirit, the Bible just mocks us. Now, this is the last thing tonight. I'm going to get on the road. But it brings me back to my time in Fresno and in Madeira. I was so scared of the third person of the Trinity. And before we start to step into the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he wants to give you in order to edify others and to be other-centered and to be spirit-controlled and to see these gifts do a wondrous work in, the, in the, not only the body of Christ here, God speak, but throughout the Conejo, before we get into those where you're going, ooh, I want that one, ooh, I want that one, Christmas, let me open it up, ooh, we need to put it into perspective. These aren't gifts to edify you. These are gifts for you to edify others. And that responsibility comes when, when he gives you that gift. It is a spirit-controlled gift. Yes? But before we get into these, especially if, we, if one desires the gift of tongues, or the gift of prophecy, or the word of knowledge, gift of helps. I'm going to be praying a lot of you get that one. But if we, we do these... <laughs> But when we, when we get to this, some folks are like me. You're a little nervous about this. Where's he going? Calvary chapels are closet charismatics. They don't really exercise the gifts. This is true. There's the gift of teaching and preaching. It's, it's an administrative gift. And, and it's being used every Sunday. But we don't often hear people speaking in tongues. Calvary chapel doesn't teach that every believer has to speak in tongues. And there's different types of tongues. One is, is a prayer language that doesn't edify another unless there's interpretation. And it's one that's privately done. And some people will quietly utter this. And when we were in Fresno, I, I spoke to the folks. I said, look, we have an eclectic gathering and there's going to be people speaking in tongues. And, and uh, if you don't understand, that's okay. We're one in Christ. All I'd ask is I'm going to pray. And please <clears throat> don't speak so loudly that you drown anyone out and bring attention to yourself. But let that gift be manifest as God gives it to you. And I'll be the one praying and we'll be in agreement together and, you, and we'll have a moment of just quiet before the Lord where you can let the spirit and we're praying for John Cox and we're praying for one of the congressional candidates Elizabeth Hang and we're laying hands on them we're praying and then I begin to pray and it, it, it calms and it's a and it was beautiful and it was profound but one of the things I'd like to see happen at Calvary Chapel and this is something I've been praying about is I'd like to see where we're going to wait on the Lord I want to see, and I've been talking with um, Nets Gomez, um, my, my pastor friend in Northridge. This is an area where he's uniquely gifted. And, and I've watched as God has used him to develop these gifts of, of parishioners that are spirit-controlled and how it has blessed the body of Christ. But before we get into that realm, we have to be prepared to know what it is God wants to do in and through us. 
So that being said, if any of you are like me and you have a, a fear of where's this going, this is the verse that, there's two verses that set my heart at ease. One is John fourteen sixteen, and the other is Romans 8, 9. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you, and I ask you to say it out loud, another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The word another is alon in the Greek. Another, alon in the Greek. The Lord used this word specifically. It means another of the same kind. So, um, we have these Krispy Kreme mugs at our house. I bought a couple of them. And uh, if I were to get one of those mugs and I fill it with water and I'm drinking it and I'm watching a show and my 16-year-old, and that's why you have 16-year-olds, is to serve you. And, and, as, and as he comes through and I've finished drinking it, I say, Michael, go get me another. I'm saying another of the same kind. Fill this. If I say, get me another one or another kind, I want one with ice in a glass, not a mug. This alon means another of the same kind. And the thing that blessed me was this word helper, which is paraclete. Remember the illustration of the painting? One who comes alongside. And when he comes alongside, it's controlled. And he's another of the same kind. He's a helper of the same kind. Same kind of what? Romans 8, 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of, he is not his. This was revolutionary to me. When I would go and watch people rolling on the floor and barking like dogs. When I saw a woman paralyzed saying the Holy Spirit has paralyzed me. I've been slain in the Spirit. I've I've studied these things. What are you speaking of? I don't know what you're talking about. It's the Spirit of Christ. And the thing that blessed me and set my heart at ease to yield to the person of the Holy Spirit and allow him to control my life is that he's the Spirit of Christ. He's another of the same kind. He's a helper. It's Jesus. If Christ isn't doing it, if he doesn't reflect it, I don't buy it. Now, That being said, I've seen some amazing things. I've seen people healed. Some people have the gift of healing. Healings. And yet, sometimes I lack faith. That's a gift itself. Sometimes I'm given by the Lord that gift of faith. I've even had times where I've prayed for people and they've been healed. And I lacked the gift of faith. Figure that one out. When you walk up to somebody as the apostles did and said, 
silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Fear envelops me in the flesh. I imagine it did for Peter as well. But what did he do, what Corey Timboom did? He said, Lord, it's not spirit-filled, it's spirit-controlled. You've spoken this to me. He grabbed his hand and he lifted him. I'm always afraid that I'll drag them across the room. I'll tell you what my biggest fear is, is they actually get up and I go on tour blowing on people. You didn't get that. I don't want to be that guy. But I do want to be spirit controlled. And if that's what he wants, meaning to be used as an instrument like a scalpel in the hands of a surgeon to declare and to lift, then so be it. But there's a a temperance there because you can get really caught up in everybody seeing that. Hello? Do you see how these gifts, have you ever given your kids a gift and they love the gift more than the giver of the gift? That is a rotten Christmas, isn't it? Is there any more? Is that it? And typically we give them gifts because we want them to love us more. God gives us gifts so we can love others more. Interesting, yes? I was blessed to know that he is another of the same kind. He's a helper that comes alongside grabs my hand as it's spirit-controlled, not spirit-filled. And he's the spirit of Christ. I'm no longer afraid of him. And I'm yielded at those times when his word says to do this. And I'll close with this last thought. I was sharing with one of the folks tonight. They asked me, how many times have you fasted before? And I said, this is the first time of all the times I fasted that it was spirit-driven and spirit-controlled. And I have to tell you something. It was really pleasant. It was, I miss being there. It, it was almost like Peter, when he's on the Mount of Transfiguration, he said, let's build some Houses for you guys. I don't want this to end. This is awesome. And there's a part of me that I just didn't want it to stop. And, and somebody texted me today, how long can someone fast? And I typed back jokingly, until they die? <laughs> but I learned the difference between my will and spirit controlled. When I force myself into a fast, I can't stop thinking about food and when the stupid thing ends. Doesn't mean that he doesn't get a hold of me periodically through the course of it. But there's a distinct difference. And I can say that the reason why I've paused to take assessment and focus on the third person of the Trinity, person, him, is because I want to... I do want, but I believe and I know that it's his desire 
to manifest this in this body. And it's time we reintroduce ourselves to him because he's ready to introduce himself to us. And I think it'll be revolutionary for us because we all want to do good. We just don't know how. And he will provide us with the how to accomplish the what of his word. And that is very exciting to me. So, you've now been introduced to the third person of the Godhead. And he is very humble because he's always putting Jesus there. But he's another of the same kind. He is the Spirit of Christ. And he is the power to will and to do of the good pleasure of our Lord because he is alone.